I'm Nakima Spencer here. Hey, uh, today uh, I wrote a book, and my book came out. I brought a couple copies. You're welcome. They're ten bucks, which is, um, yeah, it's a steal. So, no pressure at all. But if you're interested, talk to me afterwards. Uh, two things as we get going. One is, I went to the bathroom downstairs. If you found it, I was pretty sure I was going to get murdered. If you found the guys' bathrooms, like through the basement, so be careful. I don't know how to describe it, but just go with a friend, probably, um, because it was pretty scary down there. Uh, number two, you always judge the slide guy until you're the slide guy, and then you have a heart for the slide guy suddenly, because I really messed it up at the beginning. I haven't worked a PowerPoint in a long time. Um, cool. All right, I'm looking for mine. There we go. Hey, so we're doing this series through Proverbs, and we're calling it uh, Wisdom Calling, and basically what our premise is is that uh, we would love it if, if all of life or most of life was really black and white, but if you've been in college very long, you know a lot of life is not black and white, and the Bible invites us into this thing called wisdom, where we basically seek the Lord's wisdom for how we should live. Things like who you should date, who you should marry, things like what you should major in, what kind of job you should get, these all fall under the category of wisdom. And tonight what I want to look at is this idea of wisdom and integrity. And integrity, I think for us, especially if we're thinking about those of us who belong to Jesus, and want to follow him in ministry, what do we need to think about? Well, there's this idea I want to talk about tonight called integrity. I'm going to read a couple of passages, uh, one from Proverbs, and then I really want to focus on this one from Titus. But here's Proverbs 25 to 12. You have it on your handout. Here's what the author of Proverbs writes. The purpose, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find the righteous who walks in his integrity... Blessed are his children after him. A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. And then the passage in Titus where I think Paul spells for us what integrity looks like. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, he's talking to Titus in Crete. He says, This is why I left you in Crete, so you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, leaders in the church, in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good. Self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that, he may be, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Let me pray for us, and then I want to dive into what I want to talk about tonight. Let's pray first. <clears throat> Lord, we, uh, we, we admit with the author of Proverbs that who, who of us is pure? Who of us has not sinned? Who of us has never felt pride in our hearts and looked down on our brother or sister? Who of us has not had lust in our minds and our hearts and looked lustfully after a brother or sister? Who of us has perfectly loved you and been motivated singly by a love and a passion and a desire to know you and to serve you and to proclaim your glory? Lord, we admit we are not, we are not people of integrity. And yet, Lord, we want to be. Those of us who belong to you, who know your forgiveness and grace, Lord, we, we long for you to come and make us a people of integrity. And I pray that you would come and make us a people like Paul is describing in Titus. And, and I pray that you would start here tonight. Would you uh, move in this room, move in our hearts, 
in ways that are uh, encouraging, but also in ways that are challenging, in ways that are uplifting, but also in ways that are um, that cast us down, especially in our pride and our arrogance. Lord, would you meet us here? Would you send forth your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to open our ears to your truth? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So here's kind of like my premise for tonight. And, and part of why I want to do this is, so I wrote a book, and it's been interesting navigating like those waters online and navigating people reviewing it and navigating what I want to be the success of it versus like what I feel could be the hypocrisy of it, is how do we, we live in an age, here's my premise, we live in an age that is almost solely focused on image, on looking a certain way, looking good, looking like a good person, looking like a good whatever, and yet everything in Proverbs and everything in this passage in Titus is inviting into this uh, this thing, and it's not about looking good, it's about actually being good. It's not about how you appear, but it's actually about how you live in the mundane parts of your life, and that's what we could call integrity. I mean, the classic definition of integrity that I can remember, like our, our you know, like a, our pledge educator saying is like, integrity, what is integrity? It's what you do when no one else is watching, okay? You've probably heard that before. There's truth to that, though, because I want to say integrity is, is how you live in the mundane, in your day in a day, when no one really is sort of watching, when no one is sort of seeing. And this is why I just think as a culture we're not interested in this. Like, think about the last TED Talk you heard about being a great dad. You probably haven't heard one. Um, this is why the, this, the new Bieber album, I think it's like Straight Fire. It's Straight Fire because it's both a breakup album and a Finding Jesus album. But if you've listened to the album all the way through, he's got that moment in the end where he sort of shares a bit of his own crazy story, finding fame, you know, being loved and how that failed him. And here's what he says in this really honest moment. He sort of like whisper talks it. So it sounds like really wise. And I think it is wise. So if you don't take anything else from this sermon, you need to really give yourself to this Bieber album and learn at the feet of Jesus through Bieber. Here's what he says. He says, see, growing up, I always felt like I had to be the best at everything because I just didn't think I was good enough. And maybe if I was good at something, maybe I could get recognition from that. But I quickly found out that I wasn't going to get the recognition that I wanted or that I needed because people aren't perfect. And by not being perfect, you, you sometimes can disappoint people. And with God, it's like he's perfect and he never disappoints. And so I get my recognition from him and give him recognition, which maybe is easier to say when you're Justin Bieber, harder to say when you're like failing your calculus class. But I think there's, a, there's a, something he's saying is he's getting at this idea of integrity, that I belong to the Lord and I live for the Lord and it doesn't, I want to focus my whole life on how I love and follow him in the mundane, in the mundane everyday parts of my life. It's not about image, it's about integrity. And so I think this is what Paul is doing. So what does that, what does that look like? So if we're, we're in an, okay, we want to be people who, who are full of integrity. What does that look like? Well, I think Paul gives Titus this passage. And so it's really five things I want to draw out, and I'm going to do them quickly, that I think paints this picture of what it looks like to, to be a person of integrity. What, in other words, what it looks like to be a, a leader, uh, someone who is, who is loving God well and loving others well, uh, which is what I hope if you belong to Jesus, you want to be at USC, someone who follows Jesus into loving people around you like he does. But here's five things I think integrity looks like. Integrity, we could sort of say integrity, if we had like one overarching statement, it would be simply this. To be a person of integrity is to be someone who loves well. And you love well in different categories. Number one, you love the church well. You love God's people well. Um, You know, so Titus is in essentially this island off of Greece, and it's funny to me because, like, we went to Greece last year, and every part of me, I loved it. It was a beautiful 
I was going to say vacation. It was a mission trip. <laughs> it was a beautiful mission trip uh, where we did. We served Jesus in, on the campuses in Greece. But I, I longed to go to those islands that the local people kept talking about. And when I can't, whenever I read this passage, what strikes me is like if I were Paul and had just visited this beautiful island in Greece, I'm not sure that the local church would be the thing I was talking about. Like, I think I would want to be talking about the local food. I would want to be talking about the local drink, the local beautiful spots. And yet Paul leaves Crete with, like, one thing on his heart, and that's that, that, that Jesus um, would establish his church with men and women who love it well. And I think this is a, this massive presupposition, and I think we don't get this, and I don't, think, I don't think you get this, that you kind of can't be a Christian without the church. And like REF, like I get, okay, I'm, I'd love for you to be part of REF. And we see ourselves as an extension of the church. But I hope you know that, like, we are a, we are a flickering flame. Like, my whole goal is for you to, is to funnel you into a local church that preaches the gospel, that loves people well, that loves God's word. And if, I, if we haven't done that, and sometimes that's why we do this awkward, like, we do it like we do it. We're not trying to, like, play games with you. We're not, I'm not trying to, like, be this super cool guy who like wasses in and gives us amazing crafted message because I want you to have the ba- what is the church basic church is you come and you praise with God's people and you hear God's word and you pray with God's people and we long for you to 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 be you know to to realize that that's the end game the church is the end game for you and for me like you you can't you're not going to be part of a campus ministry when you're 25. Or please don't be that person trying to be part of a campus ministry when you're 25. Please, we long for you to be in the trajectory of loving the church. And that's what Paul starts with. As a person of integrity, as someone who loves the local church. And I, I say this because it's, we live in a podcast age where it's easy to love podcasts. It's easy to love certain preachers and writers. But we, we kind of look at the church as this unsexy thing we don't really know how to get down with. And Paul is saying to be a person of integrity is to get down with this unsexy thing called God's people and to really commit yourself to her. Uh, there's this guy, uh, uh, Bebo Elkin, who's one of the founders of RUF, and he had this line that always stuck with me. He said, if Jesus loved the church enough to die for her, you can love her enough to be patient with her. So if you belong to Jesus, can I challenge you and kind of say, if you want to follow him in the ministry, you want to be a leader, you want to have integrity, the first thing you need to do is to find yourself a local church so you can be immersed in all of its awkwardness uh, that preaches the gospel that you know, and love God's people there. So first, loving the church. But second, and this goes along with this, loving family, loving friends, loving the people that God has, has knitted you together with. Um, you know, it's interesting in this passage, he, he talks, he goes into this whole thing with husbands and wives, and, and he's, you know, He's not saying you have to, to be married to serve God's church in this way or to sort of be this person of integrity. And I do want to say as a person who's married, to, to most of you who are not married, to most of you who are single, maybe you're dating, maybe you're engaged, I don't know exactly where you are. But can I just say at this point that I really, like from someone who is married in the church, can I just apologize for the way sometimes we treat singles and singleness? I don't know if you feel that or not. But I think sometimes within the church, we kind of treat being single like, like you were chosen into Hufflepuff uh, in Harry Potter. And it's like, it's awesome that you're at Hogwarts, but we all kind of feel sad for you. <laughs> and I think there's this real sense in which that's not Paul's view at all. I don't think Paul is trying to say you have to even be married to serve as this person of integrity. But he does say this interesting thing. That is interesting about marriage, and I'm just going to go into it because I think it's an important point for us. He says this weird thing if you're looking at it. 
the husband of one wife in verse 6. We're looking at the Titus passage. And it's interesting because what does that mean? And I think what it means is that polygamy really was a thing in this culture. And he's kind of trying to say you need to be a man of one woman, one wife. And here's what I think he's really saying that I think you need to hear and that I need to hear, even as someone who is married, is that there's a sense in which we can think that marriage exists, and Nicholas Sparks doesn't help us here, that it exists for my happiness, that it exists to complete me. And if that's the case, I need lots. I was going to say I need lots of women to complete me. That's kind of true. I mean, it's the white truck classroom and sex, drugs, and cocoa puff says, you know, I will never satisfy any woman, and no woman will ever satisfy me, and I'm, I'm, I know that, and you and your heart know that. But I think he's, he's shifting this culture's view of marriage, and where does ours need to be shifted? Where does yours need to be shifted? And I think it needs to be shifted in this place. I think, if we're being honest, we kind of think we grew up this romance idol that thinks once I find that person, my person, if you're a Grey's Anatomy person, that's going to complete me if you're a Jerry Maguire person, and can I just say, no. That, that marriage is, he's in, you know, to be a person of integrity is to commit yourself in love. And marriage is the ultimate place in which you do that when you don't feel like it and when you don't feel completed. I didn't feel completed today. My wife and I yelled at each other a little bit because I took a nap in the middle of the day and it pissed her off that I took a nap while she was like cleaning the house. And covenant love is like, I love you even when I hate you. And I'm going to commit myself to you. And I want to sort of, every time I get a chance to crush that idol, I want to try. Um, you know, one of my favorite spots in this campus is the Thomas Cooper Library. It's that little reflection pool. Um, taking a good, good, good many naps around there. I was going to say I've studied around there. I didn't do a lot of studying around there. But the whole, I never even knew what, it, what it, the point of it was. It seems like this pointless body of water until some, like I had a, my history friend explain to me that basically back in the day these reflection pools were a thing and the whole point of them was to like magnify the greatness of this building so that's why you can you know you can see the reflection of this stately beautiful building on the face of the water and i think that's what god intends marriage to be is this reflection of of the kind of love that god has for us that you get to do with another human being and integrity is a part of that. But, but you're not there yet. So what do you do with that now? Well, please understand that to be part of that love now means to be part of God's people now. Because your marriage is going to exist within the love of God's people. That way that you can be empowered to love each other. Which is point three, loving community. So loving church, loving family, friends. But third, loving community. And I mean by that both this community, but also your community at USC and your community in Columbia. Uh, having integrity means you're moving in love outward toward the people around you that God has providentially put. It's moving from this idea, and I love this from Tim Keller, that a lot of us live in this place where we think my life for me, my life for me, I exist for myself, and you exist to make me feel better about me. And he says the gospel shifts us because Jesus came and says, my life for you. I'm going to live and die and, and raise again for you. And it shifts you if you're a Christian to, to live a life of my life for you, which moves you outward, which is where in, in the Titus passage he talks about being hospitable, being someone who is a, a lover of good. He's saying the kind of people that are full of integrity, you know, people with integrity are the kind of people, in, in your case, who get to know your teachers, who get to know your classmates and have coffee with them, who move toward them in love, who get to know your roommates, who, who, who get to know the people, live, your neighbors, and you're moving toward them and grab lunch with them. I love the way one comedian says, you know, like a, like a good neighbor, 
uh, he's riffing in the State Farm thing. He says, like a good neighbor, stay over there. And I think for a lot, like, I can live that way, and I think you can too. I think sometimes RUF can be a place where you come and find your people, and everything in me wants to challenge the crap out of that. Because if you belong to Jesus, it can't be that. I want you to find God's people here, absolutely, but God's people should always be moving in mission to find more people who don't yet know him and to move into the world in love and to move into your community in love. Um, but it's hard. So last year, I went to this. This is one of the most awkward things I've ever done is I went to this. I have a younger friend. We went to the same high school, but we became friends like post-college. So he's a solid probably eight years younger than me. Um, I was going to say I could be his dad. I couldn't quite be his dad, but he's way younger than me. And he's got, so we became really good friends after college, really after seminary for me. He's going into the ministry. He's actually studying in Toronto. And uh, he had the season where, I guess last spring, he was working in Columbia before he moved to Toronto. We hung out a ton. So he invited me to this engagement party in our hometown. And I went, but I went, my Alyssa couldn't go, so I went with my parents. And so I go to this party, and everyone is a solid eight years younger than me. And it's like all of the people I grew up with that I sort of hated, if I was being honest. It was like kind of a, this rich community uh, in Sumter, South Carolina. And, but it was not only awkward because I hadn't seen a lot of these people in, in 10 years, but it was awkward because here I am with my parents. And it's also awkward because people don't know that we're friends because I'm so much older. So people literally would look at me and that I, people I grew up with, and they didn't know who I was. And so I wasn't going to be like embarrassing them and say, hey, I'm Sammy. Remember, like, you babysat me for 12 years or you took me to school for 18, you know, like those kinds of people. They just didn't expect to see me there. And so I was, I was, I was like, processing this party, but there was this one guy there who has loved, he's loved that community so well. Like, he's at all of those parties, and he has to want to just, like, shoot himself. And yet he's there, and he's, like, talking to people, and he's, like, engaged. He'll host parties for some of these people, and it's this beautiful thing. So I left kind of with this tension. Like, I want to, everything in me wants to hate these people. And yet here's this man who has really committed himself to his community. And I was really humbled by it. And I have to ask myself the question. This question you need to ask is, how are we doing that? How are we committing ourselves where we're saying, my life for you? To the people around you right now. Your roommates, your neighbors, your classmates, your professors. Are you doing that? To be a person of integrity. And I think for me, I play the introvert card. And can I just say that being being an introvert, which if you're here, you made it. I'm glad you're here. I know everything. Let's hit that door as fast as we can after this is done so we don't have to talk to people. But there's a sense in which sometimes we can play the introvert card where it's like I don't have to talk to people. Or if you're an extrovert, you maybe play the, the get out of I don't have to listen to people. And integrity moves you into this life of love where you talk and listen to the people God has placed around you. Fourth, this is where the passage gets a little weird, where I think this idea of loving, to be a person of integrity is to be a person who loves yourself. And I, and I don't mean it necessarily in the Bieber way, although I think he's got some truth there. But I do mean it in this sense of you're loving yourself the way Jesus loves you, which means you're taking care of yourself, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. That's why he tells, Paul tells Titus, look for many who are self-controlled, who are about the same kind of holiness that Jesus is about, um, who, are, who are about... Uh, the same kind of um, self-control that Jesus showed. And I think we think we have to like pull ourselves up and become disciplined, but I think self-control comes from being a lot with Jesus. Uh, the same Jesus who, who saved gallons of the best wine for last at this party and yet didn't get drunk. Uh, the same Jesus who could tell the crowds no and go spend time in prayer 
alone or take a nap. I mean, I think sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to take a nap. So I kind of felt good about myself today. Where I was like, it's a big day. I love Jesus well by taking a nap and letting him, letting him be in control because he is in control. I don't have to let him do anything. Um, because I think sometimes even just resting and slowing down, it reminds you that you're under the care of this infinite being who created the world and yet cares for you. And I think there is this exercise part two. This is where I am thankful Jesus didn't like join CrossFit in the Gospels because um, that would have been too much for CrossFitters. But I do think there's this component of like taking care of your body that is part of kind of bringing your best work into the kingdom and that actually helps you have energy to love people around you. So there's this part of integrity that's actually taking care of, of yourself as someone who's made in God's image, someone who's, who is walking in God's love. And then the last one, this is the one that gets, it's hard to not get too spiritual about this, but as someone, Paul says, as he paints this picture of what integrity looks like, is someone who loves God's word. And he says it like, and if you look in verse 9, who must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. He uses that, that line, sound doctrine, and being able to rebuke those who contradict. He, Paul is saying someone, to be someone of integrity means you love God's word in a Psalm 119 kind of way. But you, but you believe it, you love sound doctrine, you love good theology, and you're able to understand like, how your salvation even works. Like what it even means to be a Christian, what it is that we believe as believers. And yet there's this tension. Because, you know, there's on the one hand Paul calls it, he, he says the trustworthy word. And he's going back up in Titus where he says this thing that, that God is trustworthy because God never lies. We can trust him. We can trust what he tells us. We can trust his take on things. We can trust what he says to us. And there's kind of a, there's two ways to love the word, but I think the way that gets ugly in our circles is when we love to know a lot about the word. And we love to know a lot of theology. We love to know a lot about the Bible. This is why my friend Les Newsom says, if you ever become reformed, anyone who becomes reformed and gets excited about the doctrines of grace needs to be put in a cage for two years because you know you're going to go destroy everyone around you just with, like, ugliness, just by, like, trying to win things. And he's not talking about that. Instead, he's talking about someone who, who loves to meet God in the Word, who loves, who loves the Word of God, is the way that Tim Keller says it, because he loves the God of the Word. And he knows that to know God means to know God through his word because it's the place where God reveals himself to us. But there's this deep sense, too, in which a lot of us, if you've grown up a Christian for a long time, part of the struggle is you know a lot. And yet, you don't, you don't trust Jesus with your obedience of what, to what you know. I'll never forget being in seminary and uh, this... Uh, I lived with uh, this professor for really the first so my first semester in seminary, and we would do this thing. They were he was uh, kind of super southern, but had Scottish heritage. She was this Latin teacher, and we would do this thing where they would we would eat dinner, and they would retire into this little, legit parlor to pray, and we would like kneel down to pray. It was a little bit weird and awesome. But I remember one time we were praying, and she, I remember the phrase she said, Lord, I pray, she was praying for this person, she said, I pray that you would help her trust you with her obedience. And I love that line, because a lot of you right now are not trusting the Lord with your obedience. You know what God's word says. Let's just get real for a second. You know exactly what God's word says. And yet, you are afraid to trust Jesus to do what you know his word says. <laughs> and maybe there's a place in your life tonight... Because this is where integrity comes from, right? 
trusting Jesus in those places where it's clear to us what he said, and yet if we're being honest, we are deeply afraid to let something go or to take something up. And, and to be a person of integrity is to be a person who repents and, and does that. And that's the interesting thing. I think, you know, when you read, if you're like me and you're a person who's prone to despair, you're a person who's prone to kind of feeling defeated, you could read, like, when I read this list and I forget Jesus and I forget grace, I feel crushed by it. Because it's like I can never, I'm never going to be a person who, like, I, I could tell you a couple ways I'm not living the church well right now. I can tell you a couple ways I'm not loving uh, my family well right now. I could tell you several ways I'm not loving my community well right now. I could tell you several ways in which I'm not loving uh, taking care of doing self-care right now. And I could tell you several ways I'm not loving God and his, God's word right now. I mean, there's, there's a sense in which if you, are, if you know yourself, you know you're not like this person. That's why our Proverbs passage says, Who can say I've made my heart pure, that I am clean from my son? And there's a sense in which, so what does it mean to be above reproach? Well, to be a person above reproach means, it doesn't mean that you're beyond repentance. I think it means the opposite. I think it means to be a person above reproach means to be a person who is constantly repenting all the time. And taking your impurity. And taking your sin to Jesus. And saying, Jesus, I am not living as a person with integrity. Would you wash me and make me clean? And would you lead me into newness of life? But y'all, I think we would like for that to happen once in our lives. And sanctification is that this is supposed to happen not even daily, but multiple times a day. And, and for a lot of you, this maybe it sounds, maybe this is a new idea to you, I'm not sure. But the light, to be a person of integrity is to be a person who constantly is repenting. Repenting of your sin and, and taking it to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I am a proud SOB that nobody likes. Would you please break me? Would you please show me my sin and lead me into a life of love? You know, it's interesting that we read this Genesis passage, and I can't quit thinking about it because, you know, Abraham, here's Abraham. He's pleading for this unrighteous, talk about no integrity city. And he does that interesting thing with God where he says, God, would you spare this city if there are, did you follow the passage? If there are 50 people righteous, would you spare it? God says, Yes. He says, okay, there probably aren't 50 people. There are 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, and he gets down. God, if there are just 10, 10 people in this city of, of thousands, maybe millions, if there are just 10 people who are of integrity, would you please spare the city? And what's interesting is God doesn't spare the city because there weren't 10 people. In fact, there were zero people. And he rescues Lot out of his covenant love and forgiveness. But the logic, because here's what here's what here's where Jesus comes on, is Lord, if there is one person who is righteous, if there is one person who loves you, if there is one person who 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 follows this list in Titus with absolute beauty and goodness and perfection, if there's one person who is upright, who is pure, if there is one, would you spare us? And God says, absolutely. And Jesus says, amen. And Jesus comes and he lives this life of integrity that we're not living and dies the death for our lack of integrity that we deserve that we might be invited into this new life and following him and being made like him in his integrity. And that we might be freed from being people who are my life for me into this life of love that says my life for you. 
that that Jesus has saved me, Jesus has loved me, that I might love you, and that you might love me, and that we might begin to love each other. And in that way, our love, which is the heart of integrity, becomes a sort of signpost to this greater love that we've now known in Christ. Uh, I'll close with this. My, my, one of my favorite things is to read with my kids. I'm not, I'm not the kind of dad who loves to like read with his kids because I'm impatient. And, um, but I do love reading Shel Silverstein's poems with them. And there's this one that I just love. And it's, it's called Love. And here's how it goes. And the, the, the picture is a little Shel Silverstein person holding up a sign that has a V on it. And he says, here's what the poem says. It says, Ricky was L, but he's home with the flu. Lizzie, our O, has some homework to do. Mitchell, E, probably got lost in the way. So I'm all of, so I'm all of love that can make it today. And I love that because part of what, it, to be a person of integrity, here's what it means. It means to be a person who knows that somehow your imperfect, flawed, repenting of selfishness, love, repenting of bad motivation, love, that somehow that broken and fragmented love is this beautiful signpost to the love of God who has loved you in the face of your lack of integrity, that he might invite you and me into a life that is transformed by that love. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray um, that you would meet us in that place tonight. Uh, that you would meet us in the place where you would show us the ways we are not pure. You would show us the ways where we have um, sinned against you. But that you would meet us with the gospel there. And that you would uh, begin to lead us into a newness of life that follows you into the world in love. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Look at you the counter. What you got to offer. Make you out of soda. Look at you forever. Look at you the water. Eyes like a casino. We are fever, we are fever, we ain't born typical.